And greetings to all of you in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you had a great time with family and loved ones, considering all the blessings God has showered upon us this Thanksgiving season. We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? And um, is this on? Okay. You'll turn with me as we begin. We'll make our way back ultimately to Matthew 28, but First Peter chapter 1. I'd like to start with a verse there. To give a title to this morning's message, I would call it, Believe the Unbelievable. Believe the Unbelievable. I'm told that down at the southwestern edge of the continent of Africa, the cape that protrudes out there, once thought to be the furthermost southern point, now they know it's not, but it's the southwest corner of the continent of, of Africa. Many sailors had gone down that way and their ships encountered a lot of troubles and sunk. And so someone had given it the name of the Cape of Storms or the Cape of Despair. There's one particular explorer who, upon reaching that area and getting beyond the Cape and discovering the riches of the world beyond, renamed it the Cape of Good Hope. Since then, many sailors have made their way around that cape, and that's the way we know it today, the Cape of Good Hope. I like to say that much more important than a cape protruding into the waters of the ocean, uh, producing terrors in the hearts and minds of sailors, there's a darkness and a terror that faces every single human being that is much more formidable, and that is death. But for you and I who believe the scriptures concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our living hope. First Peter chapter one, verse three says that very thing. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, just as those sailors who knew that that cape was coming and was concerned about how they would meet those troubled waters, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one who has gone beyond death into the splendors and riches of heaven. And He came back from the grave to pronounce to us that death has been conquered. He conquered death. And he has promised the same victory to you and to me if we believe the scriptures concerning him. And that is what Jesus said in John chapter 11. Perhaps you're familiar with that verse. In John chapter 11, Jesus would make his way to the graveside of one of his dear friends, Lazarus. Lazarus who had been in the grave for four days. And when he finally came and met Lazarus' sisters, they both said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And yet, Jesus would say to her in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. I would like to call upon you this morning to believe the unbelievable about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures will plainly declare that he did raise from the dead. Something no other person has ever done. And so many choose not to believe. But to those who believe, he is our living hope. He is what gives us the hope like that cape of good hope for what lies beyond the grave. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, depending on your position on what you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will either see it in one of two ways. Either, number one, oh boy, my battery dying. I believe so. You can advance it for me there. You'll see it as the foundation of your faith or you'll see it as just plain foolishness. But there's no middle ground concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see that today. There's no middle ground about this position that you take on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You either believe the claims of Scripture to find that He's the foundation of that hope that you can find in no other place, or it's just plain foolishness, and you might as well just cast the Scriptures all together, and whatever faith you think you may have in them, to the side because your faith is absolutely meaningless. And I hope that today you will understand why that is so true. If you'll turn with me now then to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It is this very thing that the Bible calls the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're considering today. It is the good news about him. And the good news really has two different parts. And we've already been looking. If you've been with us for the past several weeks, you know that we've been looking at the life of Christ. And we're about to enter into, it's kind of a neat season to be able to do this message, right? Because uh, uh, we've been looking at his life, but, but we're concluding it now with this part, right as we enter into the Christmas season. And the Christmas season primarily focuses on his coming into the world, But his coming into the world was all about his death and resurrection, the end of his life. And that's what John 3.16 would tell us, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Christmas, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the way that we know that we have that everlasting life is because of what he accomplished when he died and proved when he was raised from the dead. And... uh So as we go into this Christmas season to consider both his birth and his death and his resurrection together is a a wonderful, great thing. Notice here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read the first four verses together. This is all just part of our introduction. This is why this is so important in our study. We can't just glaze over it because it's not Easter time. This is pivotal to our faith. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 15, if you go to the next slide for me. He reads, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received and in which you stand, 
by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Notice He says then, uh, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. And it's by that very gospel that you are saved. We, t- we, we talk about preaching the gospel all the time, but, but without thinking about it, sometimes we do not preach the full gospel message. We highlight the death of Christ, but we don't often declare to people the power and necessity of the resurrection. But that's what he says here. Notice, um, he says in verse 3, I delivered to you first of all what I received, that Christ died for our sins. Yes, that's part of it. But also that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And both times it says, according to the scriptures. The scriptures plainly declared beforehand that this is what he was going to do. And so he did it. And so we, we take special note of the full message of Christ. Yes, he died. And we spent just a few weeks ago a lot of time looking at what happened there on the cross when our Savior was lifted up between two thieves. Jesus didn't deserve to be there. He was there to be our substitute, to take our place to pay the full penalty of your sin and mine and everyone else who ever lived on the face of the earth and whoever who will live on the face of the earth. The full weight of the penalty, the wrath of God against our sin, he bore on that cross. Then he was buried and he rose again the third day. We're going to consider that today. And, and, and I'd like to just kind of notice all these go together as that message that Paul said, when you believed and received it, you are saved. The next slide. <clears throat> I did this experiment. I read about it one time when I was teaching school. And so I went out and I bought 10 mouse traps. Probably some of you have one at your house. I would encourage you, if you have an extra, try it. But someone told me, there are nine parts to a mousetrap. But if you take away just one of those parts, any one, it will not work. It's not like you get a halfway working or three-quarter way working trap. No, no, no. You take away one of those nine parts and it absolutely will not work. I said, is that really true? So I went myself down to the dollar store and I bought ten traps And I left one of them fully intact and I gave it to one group and I got another group in my classroom and I took one little part out and notice, okay, you can list the next nine parts, right? You got the the wood, you've got uh, the spring there in the middle and you've got the little bar that goes around the back and uh, the trigger pin that comes down there and holds the little bait holder there at the front. And you got four little retainer clips, almost looking like staples. One right there by the by the bait clip. And then you got two on either side of the spring and one on the back that holds the pin. And it doesn't matter which one part you take out of there. You get a zero functioning mousetrap. It requires all ten pieces. And you know, that's really the same thing. They call this Darwin's black box, I think, right? No one wants to talk about it. But the, all the missing links... And we'll, how we would have functioning bodies at all, our vision, our, our muscular structure, our, our, you know, it's impossible for it to evolve. It's all got to be there from the beginning. And the gospel is just one example. You take away one of those parts. And that's why you know, people want to say, well, Jesus didn't really die. Because if we can say that he didn't die, well, then the resurrection never really happened. And that just excuses the whole thing away. 
But sometimes we do the same thing by not realizing the importance of the resurrection. Yes, he died, but the fact that he raised from the dead is absolutely crucial to our faith. And that's what Paul goes on to say here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice, starting in verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, which Paul already said, that's part of what I preached to you, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not raised, well, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we're found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he did raise up Christ. Well, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But notice verse 20. But now... Christ is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. If the whole resurrection was just a farce, then our faith is useless. So I hope that you have considered or will consider and will treasure the things that we're going to look at today concerning Christ and his resurrection. All right, now for Matthew chapter 28. This is the end of Matthew's gospel. We've looked at several, his gospel several times in this series. And he has told us how Christ was crucified. He has told us that, that they took his body down from the cross. The centurion validated that he was dead. He was put into the tomb, embalmed, and, and, and put into the tomb, and they rolled the stone over it. And the religious leaders came to Pilate and said, listen, now this schemer tried to say that he was going to raise from the dead. And we just don't want any 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 false claims to be made. So if you'll just give us a, a, a guard of centurions to make this thing secure, we don't want anyone coming along trying to fool everybody to think he really did this thing, raising from the dead. And so they did. They sealed the tomb. They gave him the guard and left him there over the Sabbath day. But now we read Matthew chapter 28. And we're just going to read the whole chapter because it's, quite profound a story. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go, quickly, and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and indeed he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. 
So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which God had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, we rejoice today that we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank you for being so uh, uh, tedious to portray to us what actually did happen, to explain its importance to validate its truthfulness and then to authorize us to continue to spread this great work that our Savior has done for us by dying and, yes, by raising from the dead. Father, I, pr- I thank you for that glorious truth that you have brought home to my own heart and that I believe it. Help me to live in light of that belief. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here who does not understand or have that confidence in this declaration of your word, Father, that they would come to that today and truly be saved and born again to this same living hope through the resurrection of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'd like to take you back to verse 6. Verse 6 is kind of be our outline as we finish our time together here this, this morning. Notice, if you put that up there on the next slide, um, in verse 6, the angel, uh, when the women came close enough, they saw the angel... It says the angel answered them and said, don't be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. But notice then he says, he is not here for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And then later he says, go tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. What was God's response to this act of raising his son from the dead? We see here in this verse four things. And that's going to be we're going to, we're, how we're going to spend our time now. We're going to see, first of all, if you'll put it up on, on the, the screen here. First of all, when the angel said he is not here, he was making a proclamation. He was proclaiming, announcing the facts, the truth to those standing at his grave. I'm sorry the red's not so readable on the big screen. Then he said, for he is risen, as he said. Now we see his explanation. The angel did not just pronounce what had happened. He gave explanation for it. Then he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. He wanted to also give verification of this truth. And then later, after they got it all, he sent them out for the propagation of this message. Um, It's not exactly alliteration, but it kind of rhymes and it helps me remember. All right. So that's kind of where we're going to go first. Notice they come to the, the tomb and the angel says, He is not here. Those were the facts. Jesus had raised from the dead. And although he had announced this to his disciples many times, the Bible says they didn't understand. It even says they forgot about it. And and so the Lord would have to bring it back to their minds 
our Savior, after He raised from the dead, would do the same. And when the Holy Spirit came, Jesus said, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will bring back all these things to your remembrance and help you to understand them and to be able to accurately pass them along to others. But the first fact is that Jesus is not there in the tomb. No matter what other religion you turn to, many of them have shrines, they have religious sites marking the very place, if not the body of their cherished prophets or supposed God. But the difference with the Lord Jesus Christ is that there's something missing in this site, and that is his body. He had risen from the dead. And we've already talked about that. It has been proclaimed here as well as there that day. But what did he go to next? He said, listen, yes, he's not here, for he has risen just as he said. He's telling them, listen, Jesus already told you this was going to happen. The scriptures have spoken about this very thing. And so he wanted to send them back to get the explanation from the scriptures. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 said he was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. This is not new. Matthew chapter 16, the same book that we're in right now, uh, tells us in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. This was not a surprise thing. They should have seen it coming. He says the same thing in Matthew chapter 20. Twenty seventeen. Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Over and over, Jesus said this is what was going to happen. And this is not a surprise. Listen, we already heard how the religious leaders came to Pilate and said, We need help. It's right here in Matthew 27, verse 63. Sirs, we remember while he was alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise. It was predicted. And now we see it accomplished. The significance of it. However, um, if you'll come with me to Romans chapter 4. We'll be back to Matthew. Paul spends the entire book of Romans explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ. He takes the first three chapters and dives into why we needed a Savior. We're all sinners, guilty before God, no matter how good we think we are compared to anybody else, compared to God's holy standard, we are all guilty before God. And so God would make a way for us to be saved, not by anything that we could do. That's the point of the end of chapter three and the chapter of uh, uh, Romans chapter four is that it's not based on anything we do, but it's by believing in the promise of God of what he was going to do by Jesus dying and raising from the dead. And Abraham himself, the father of faith in the Old Testament, it says, was declared righteous before God, although a sinner like you and me. He was declared to be righteous before God when he believed in the promise of God. 
by faith, right? And so this is the whole point of the chapter of Romans chapter 4. And then he comes down to this right here. Verse 22, Romans 4, 22. Therefore, it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. And now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, that it was put on his account, but also for us. Verse 24. It shall be imputed or put on our account to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. All right. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead is the one who will impute or put on our account the righteousness of Christ when we believe. But it says, notice concerning Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Not the easiest verse to explain because it gets a little wordy. But if we can just go back to those last two phrases, who was delivered up because of our offenses. It was because of our sins. It was because of our transgressions that Jesus came to die because he, having no sin, was was qualified to take our place and to pay the penalty for us. So yes, he was delivered up, crucified because of our offenses. But he was also raised up because of our justification. To be justified means to be declared right before God. So why was Jesus raised? Because of our justification. Because when Jesus died and he successfully satisfied the wrath of God for our sin, death had no rights over him anymore. And so because it was fully paid, God could now take that payment, putting it on our account and consider us forgiven with a clean record, justified, declared right before God. Not because I'm, I've done anything to be right, but because now I stand with Christ's righteousness put on my account. And so God looks at my account, he looks at me and he sees Christ's righteousness put on my account. He says, I declare him right. Declared righteous before God. Now, because of that, because it was acceptable to God, because God could justify us and be just in doing so, and that's the other snag, right? How many times we'd like to just say to somebody, listen, don't worry about it. We often say that when someone comes to apologize, right? Hey, I'm sorry I did that to you. Eh, it's all right. Oh, really? So I can do it again? I think what we mean is I won't hold it against you. What we mean is I forgive you. But we don't really mean it's all right. God cannot be all right with sin. The penalty has to be paid. And that's why Jesus, the son of God, had to come to earth to go to the cross to take your place in mine, to pay that penalty, to take God's wrath against him. But because it was paid in full, God can, can, can declare us righteous. And now, having successfully accomplished what he came to do, he came out of the grave, proving our justification. How would we know God accepted his death as payment for our sin? How would we know that, that death no longer has control over him if he did not come out of the grave? But no, see, he did come out. He proved it. And so what we see in this whole process is that it was announced, yes, he is not here. He's risen from the dead. It was explained. The scriptures said it had to happen. It would happen. 
it needed to happen. He had to raise from the dead to prove to everyone that it was accepted. And so he did. And the angel had them to consider the scriptures, what Jesus had said to explain the significance of the fact that he raised from the dead. He had predicted it. It came to pass. But something very interesting follows in this whole scene. And I love this about the Lord. The angel turns to them and says, come, see the place where the Lord lay. The angel could see their doubts, their hesitation. How can you really believe that someone did raise from the dead? It's never happened before. But he wanted to give them verification of the facts, something that they could hold on to that would prove that it was true. First of all, he said, here they are. You were there. These women who came to the tomb early that morning, they had watched Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take that hundred pounds of spices and wrap the body. They took note of the shroud and the, the turban that they had used to wrap him with because in observing it, they thought, Okay, this is my uh, uh, ho- hopefully sanctified imagination. You know, watching the men do this job, they probably said, you know what, we need to come fix this after the, after the Sabbath is over, right? The Sabbath was approaching and they needed to be done and so they got the job done, but in their minds, they wanted to do something special for the Lord Jesus. So they come back on the morning of the first day of the week after the Sabbath when they were not allowed to do any work and they come back. And here, he says, you saw the clothes the Lord Jesus was wrapped in. Take a look. Here they are. These are his. He's not here. He gave them evidence. The Lord Jesus did the same thing. If you'll turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke 24. Famous story here. It's the day, the same day, the day of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And... The women, they go run to tell the disciples. The disciples run to the tomb to see what had happened. And they found it just as the women had said. It was empty. And and, and they went away distraught because they didn't understand it yet themselves. But later that day, it says that Jesus appeared to all the disciples while they were back up in the upper room hiding amongst themselves. All right. Okay. Verse 36, Luke 24, 36 it says, now, as they said these things, they came back to tell the other disciples that they had seen the Lord himself, which is one of the proofs that we're going to come back to. But it says, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and he said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. They were having trouble believing. Here are the disciples who loved Jesus, who wanted to believe, but they were having trouble believing. What does Jesus do? He says to them, verse 38, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. He said, Here, you see the nail prints in my hands? Touch them. Feel them. I'm alive. I have a body. Ghosts don't have bodies. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and they marveled, he said to them, 
Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. I wouldn't have put those together in one meal, but okay. And, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said, not only can you feel me that I have flesh and bones. Look, ghosts don't eat either. I'm eating the food that you've got. You know that it's real food. He's verifying, giving evidence to the truthfulness that he really raised from the dead. And it wasn't just here. 1 Corinthians 15. I know we're doing a little flipping here, but the explanation is all over the place in the scriptures. When he said, this is the gospel message that Jesus did raise again the third day, he says, listen, the message that we told you is not just that it happened, but listen, verse, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the 12. Jesus appeared to Peter and then he appeared to all 12 when they were together. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren all at once. This is not just a mirage of one passing person who was over, you know, lacking sleep because they were depressed over Jesus dying. There's evidence here. He said the most of these, the greater part remain to the present, but some have died, some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. This is interesting. James, one of the Lord's half brothers. He didn't believe in Jesus all Jesus' lifetime. In fact, he and his brothers made fun of Jesus. When Jesus had all these disciples following, he's like, come on, why don't you go show, do some more miracles? I mean, you know, no one who wants to be known hides in the, they would mock him. But when the resurrection came and James, the brothers of Jesus saw him, they believed. If anybody would know the real Jesus, it would be his family. I mean, we've had twins in our own meeting here. And for years, many of us would get them confused, but not family members. No mistaking someone in your family. Maybe it was his adult. Maybe it just someone looked like him. No. They believed the unbelievable when they saw it. Something about this gospel, even, you know, Nicodemus, who helped bury Jesus, he had believed privately, but didn't want to tell anybody because he was afraid of the reaction of his friends. But when he saw Jesus die, something happened. He was transformed. He had the courage to come claim Jesus as his own. And he asked for the body that he could deliver it. Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man, the same thing. This is the life-changing message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for your sin and for mine. But he didn't stay dead. God accepted his death as payment for your sin and for mine. And because of that, he declares all who believe in him to be righteous, right standing with God, not because of our record and what we've done or any deserving of ours, but because we are now identified with Christ and his record imputed, accounted to our account. And now we believe. Some of us need more verification than others. Some, no matter what verification you give them, they will not believe. The story we just read here in Romans, excuse me, Matthew 28, it talks about the soldiers. If anybody knew what really happened, it was them. Listen, they weren't sleeping. Punishable by death for a Roman soldier to fall asleep on guard. And there was a whole guard of them together to make sure nothing happens to this body. And somehow, yeah, these fishermen, one of which trying to 
kill somebody, took off his ear. Yeah, he was real proficient with the sword. Yeah, they overcame a Roman guard to steal away the body while they fought off the guards and rolled away the stone and hauled off his body. It's a ludicrous story. But what? The religious leaders knew that it was secured as humanly as possible. The soldiers came and told them what happened. An earthquake came, an angel came down and sat on the stone and rolled away. We passed out, out of fear, and the body of Jesus was gone. But knowing the facts didn't change them. They just resisted all the more. Their own pride, their own self-righteousness, their own rejection of Jesus would not let them accept the truth. And so the Bible would say it this way. In another story where a rich man had heard all about Jesus all of his life and then died and went to the place of the dead where he was in flames, in torment, waiting his judgment. And he asked Abraham, Abraham, please send Lazarus, that beggar. I watched him all my life. He's a compassionate man. I know I didn't help him at all when I was alive on earth. But would you please have him go tell my brothers the truthfulness of the, of the, of the Bible message so that they won't come here also? And Abraham said, number one, it's impossible. No one can go from here to there, from there to here or back. And then Abraham said, they have the scriptures. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone were to come back from the dead, then they would believe. Listen to the words of the scriptures. If they will not believe Moses and the prophets, If they will not believe the scriptures, they will not believe even if someone rises from the dead. Sometimes we meet people who want proof. How do you know the Bible's true? Come on, show me, show me. No matter what you show them, it's never enough. Because they've already decided they don't want to believe. The Bible says nothing you say is going to help them believe. They've already made their decision. But see, to those who were searching, the angel spoke to the women and said, I know that you're seeking Jesus. He's not here. He's risen just like he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Look at the evidence. It will give you the confidence to believe. You've got an open heart for the truth. Jesus said the same thing. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you have the will to obey his will, you will know the doctrine, whether it be of God God will reveal to you the truth and give you the confidence that you need to believe if you're really seeking the truth. Jeremiah put it this way. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. The problem is sometimes we, sometimes others aren't really seeking the truth. We'd rather hold on to our preconceived ideas rather than own the truth. But to those of us who will, Experience the reality. The disciples all came to the place where they were so convinced that they gave their lives for the truthfulness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, you look at other religions. There are a lot of zealots who who give their lives for what they believe to be true. But they're deceived, but they believe to be true. But when you look at those who know something not to be true, Will they really die for that? I don't like to pick on other religious groups. Knowing the truth is good enough. But in reading the story of Joseph Smith and the writings that he says were revealed by an angel of God to him, 
in some mysterious manuscripts that he said he got from this angel. He had a few friends who agreed with his story for a time. But most of them, somewhere down the rest of their life, admitted they never saw anything from him. It was a lie. But every single one of the apostles of Jesus Christ died torturous deaths because they were convinced of the truthfulness of the Word of God. Christ Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and He rose again because of our justification. Because we can now be declared right before God, God raised Him from the dead, declared with power that He's the Son of God, that He is who He said. This is part of what I meant to say in our explanation of the truth of the scriptures and the verification. Listen, Jesus claimed that he was going to raise from the dead. If he had not raised from the dead, he would have lied and would not been qualified to be our savior. So his death would have been no good, no, no better than anyone else's. And that's why the scriptures say, so if he didn't raise, this is useless. Our faith is worthless. Just throw it away. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Paul says, "For why do I suffer these things if it's not true? That doesn't make any sense. But because I know it is true, he suffered all things for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it would come to the, to the point where the angel would say to the, to the women, go tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. After Jesus had manifested himself numerous times to the apostles and the last day when he went up to the mountain with them before he ascended into heaven, we read the words at the closing of Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus came and spoke to them in verse 18 saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This is the propagation of the message. God is entrusting to us who have been convinced the spreading of this good news to the world. To my shame, I don't do it well enough. I suffer from the same fears Nicodemus suffered from. I'm afraid I don't have the answers. But you know, When we see our neighbors, our relatives, our co-workers standing for the great white throne of God, being condemned to an eternity without Christ, whatever excuse I have now that keeps me from sharing Christ, if they should ever look at me and say, you knew? You knew? Why didn't you tell me? Whatever lame excuse I have now is going to seem doubly lame then. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus asked the question, Do you believe this? If you've never believed it before, I implore you, I beg you, I challenge you to turn to Jesus today. Look at the evidence. Listen, I I couldn't find the book in my own stuff. I must have loaned it to somebody and I I always think I'll remember and I never get it back. Or I do, but when I don't, I'm like, who did I give that to? But there's a book 
written by those who were seeking the truth. Josh McDowell, being one, thought this whole story of the resurrection of Christ was just silliness. And so he sought to prove it wrong. There was such overwhelming evidence, he became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and has given his life to teach others the same. He's written two books, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You can find them all over the place, on the internet or by the book. Uh, It's really compelling. Lee Strobel, his wife, believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was disturbed by this, and so he sought to prove this Bible wrong. Guess what? In his search for the truth, he found the truth and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're searching today, if your heart is open, God wants to show you the truth. He wants you to come to the place where you believe and are set free from the penalty of sin, declared right before God, and have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Believer, can I just encourage you with this? Ephesians chapter 1 says this. This is Paul's prayer for the saints, the believers in Ephesus. And he prayed that the eyes, verse 18, of your understanding would be enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of this calling and what are the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in the saints. And listen to verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and powers and mights and dominions and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. Christian, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul declares, is the same power working in your life and mine. so that we can experience the fullness of what Jesus accomplished there on the cross. That's what I believe Paul was speaking of in Philippians 3 when he says, Oh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, death had no more control over Him. He lived in the power of an endless life. And he said, we have been united with him. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in your life and mine, Christian, to help us to turn away from sin, to help us to serve him, to help us to have victory over every temptation and trial that comes into our lives. And so Paul would say, I just want to know him that intimately so that that same power that raised him from the dead, I will see active in my daily life. Yes, God has called us to take up a cross and follow him. And we don't like to take up the cross, denying ourselves, crucifying our self-will. But if we want the resurrection life, it comes after death. Let us not turn away from taking up our cross to follow Jesus. Christian, that's where we'll find the resurrection power working daily in our hearts and lives. And we will have close fellowship with him knowing Him more and more each and every day. May God help us to continue to proclaim that truth, to know the evidence well enough to help share it with others, sharing our own personal testimony, archaeological evidence, biblical prophecies, whatever is necessary to understand and to verify the truthfulness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, His resurrection after His death 
so that others may believe and that this gospel will be preached in all the world so that others may come to know him also. Let us pray. Father, oh, I know we haven't done justice to what our Lord did on the cross. We've just scratched the surface. But that's where we start. The angel simply said, come see the place where the Lord lay. The evidence is here. Come check it out. And Father, I just want to pray again today that you would give us an ever-increasing appreciation for what our Savior has accomplished for us. Yes, he was delivered up and crucified because of our transgressions and our offenses before you. Oh, but you raised him from the dead because you accepted that sacrifice for us. And Lord, the living hope that we now have, would you help us to be so overflowing in it that we just can't hold back the propagation of this message to those around us. And may it not uh, 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 center all around us, but that we would be willing to do whatever you call us to do for the honor and glory of our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.